God does talk about the mark, and he does want us to understand these things, so we're also going to be looking at the mark of the beast secondarily. That's right. So the mark of the beast is not as important as the seal of God. That's right. I would certainly more importantly want the seal of God. Yeah. Because, well, we'll tell you in just a minute. We're going to watch a video here, and so this is also something we took from downtown Chicago. When you're at church, do you hear the preacher on regular occasions talking about the Antichrist? Not too often. When you're at church, do you hear the preacher talking about the Antichrist? Uh, sometimes, but rarely. When you do go to church or watch television, do you hear people talking about the Antichrist? Um, not much. Uh, at church, not too much. Yes. How often? Uh, not very often. Maybe two or three times a year. Now, when you're listening to the sermon behind the pulpit, do you once in a while hear about the Antichrist? I do. How often? Um, not very, not often, a lot. Um, right now, I listen to a lot of relational messages, but your relationship with God. Do you hear much uh, preaching about the Antichrist? No, not really. So it's not something that people talk about a lot. That's why we decided we're going we're gonna to name this entire series Antichrist, the one you've never known, because people aren't really talking about it. They should in light of Jesus Christ. Exactly. Never should we just know about the Antichrist. We should know about Jesus Christ. Chad, would you lead us in prayer, please? Yeah, let's bow our heads for a word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for this opportunity to open your word once again. Lord, we've looked at some very serious messages. And now, Lord, we're diving into the seal of God. And we pray that as we do, that you would make it so absolutely clear that we would know exactly what you're trying to get across. Lord, you have these words in the Scripture. You didn't just put them in there to just fulfill a fancy of our minds, but you put them there to reveal to us the truth. And the words of Revelation particularly are given to show us things which must shortly come to pass. So Lord, help us. Help us to understand these things and also help us to take them to heart for if, if it is not in the mind and in the heart, these things are utterly worthless to us. So I pray that you would bless us now with your Holy Spirit. I pray that you would anoint Daniel in my lips Please, with the coal from your altar, that we may speak your word with clarity, with love, and with power. And in the name of Jesus, we ask these things. Amen. Amen. The Bible says in our first text, Revelation chapter 7, verses 1 through 3, it says, After these things I saw four angels... Angels are messengers in the Bible. They were, not all the time, but in Revelation, in the, in the books of prophecy, they're referring to messengers. Standing on the four corners of the earth, referring to the north, east, south, and west. Holding the four winds of the earth. What does wind represent in the Bible? Well, it means strife. Like something that's going to be destroying. You can see that in Jeremiah chapter 50. And it says, the four winds were, they were holding the four winds of the earth. That the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on any tree. And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. This is talking about a time when the, the, it's right before destruction is going to blow upon this earth. Like, for instance, Revelation chapter 17, verse 15. The Bible clearly says that waters represent what? Multitudes of people, basically. Multitudes and people, that's right. Well, the Bible says clearly also in Isaiah chapter 61 that trees represent God's righteous people. So all the people and even God's righteous people are kept at this time from the winds of destruction 
until there's a seal of God in the forehead of those that are God's servants. Pick it up in the next verse, brother. We read here in Revelation chapter 7, verse 1 to 3, And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels, to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their what? In their foreheads. Now notice that the seal of God is going to be placed in the forehead. Now we're going to see there's a distinction tonight between the seal of God and the mark of the beast. The seal of God can only be received in the forehead, whereas the mark of the beast can be received either in the forehead or in the hand. So we'll be looking at that a little bit more. What's the deal with the forehead? I mean, you said we're going to be looking at it, but like, what's the clarification Big deal, the forehead. I mean, is there going to be a mark there that we can actually see? Well, it's not necessarily something that you can just literally see. Now, you can look in the Old Testament. You actually see that they, were, they put a mark upon their forehead. It's actually not a mark. They were to put the Ten Commandments on their forehead or the words of the law on their forehead. Now, I don't think they were necessarily actually. They put something they called phylacteries. phylacteries yeah. They were basically like a, like a little box, and I believe they would put like the Ten Commandments or some verses in this thing. And the reality is, is God says there's going to be a mark on our foreheads if we've received the seal of God. But it's interesting, in the hand, if you think about it, it says in the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter, chapter 9, that whatsoever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. And think about that. If we stop right there, whatsoever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Your hand is a symbol of your works, things that you can do and accomplish. Your forehead is a symbol of what? Your mind, right? What, what goes on up here? And we've already seen that the mind and the heart are synonymous. And the new covenant is to have the law written where? In the forehead. On the heart, which is also in the forehead, because the mind and the heart. Because as a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. That's so. right. Now, if we turn and look at the word seal in the concordance, I'm a Mac user. It's Mac sword at the top left. You'll see it's the book of the Revelation of John, chapter 7, verse 2, what we were just looking at. And you see right here in red, it says seal. And it can be translated, the stamp impressed as a mark of privacy or genuineness. God is going to have on his servants a stamp of genuineness. This is mine, he's going to say. How are we going to know that, that we're gods at the end of time? Because of the seal. It's a stamp of approval, a stamp of genuineness. Something that will distinguish between those who are not gods and those who are. You know, I was, uh, I was in Germany. I was asked to come and share some messages over in Germany. And while I was there, I went to a, a museum. And in that museum, they had seals. Now, generally, a seal will have something like the name of the person who is in rulership, the title of that person. You would say, let's say, John King, which would be his title, and then his territory, we could say John King of Germany. Now, I just made up those names, but you get the point. Basically, and I saw a number of seals that were there in that place. Now, if you were to have, what they would do in the, in the old days is they would take maybe some wax, and they would take either maybe some kind of parchment or some kind of letter, and they would put wax over this to, to enclose it, and then they would, take, they would heat up that wax and take the seal, and they would press it in to the wax, and then it would have the name, the title, and the territory of that person. Now, if that seal had been broken... You knew that someone had been what? Snooping. Tampering. Yeah, snooping. Tampering with your mail, right? And so in the same way, God is going to seal his people in the last days with his name, his title, and his territory. So like today, the president of America would be President Bush. That's his name. Mm -hmm. His title would be president. Mm -hmm. And his uh, territory would be America. The United States of America. United States. So President 
George Bush of the United States of America. That could be his name, title, his and his territory. Okay. So as we continue on there, it says in Revelation 14, When I looked, and lo, a lamb stood on Mount Sion. With him there was 144,000, having his father's name written in their foreheads. That's pretty interesting. We, we saw in Revelation 7 that there's going to be the, a seal in their foreheads. Well, here it says the Father's name is written in their foreheads. Read again as we continue seeing almost the same identical thing. We read here in Revelation 22, 3 and 4, There shall be no more curse, but the throne of God and of the Lamb shall be in it. This is on the new heavens and the new earth. And his servants shall serve him, and they shall see his face, and his name shall be in their what? In their foreheads. Now we remember in the Old Testament where we talked about Jacob. Jacob, after he wrestled with the angel and was victorious, what does his name change into? His name was changed to Israel. Israel. Why? Because his character changed. Remember when Saul was met on his high horse and knocked off his high horse, his name was changed to? Paul. Paul. Remember when Abram was finally given that promise in Genesis 15 where God said you're going to be like you're going to be the father of many nations like all the children of the stars will be yours you shall be now called Abraham and we can go on through all these people there's a, a, a name change when character is changed in fact that's what we see in the original language when we talk about name it says in the Greek language the name or onoma is a derivative of a couple of words it means name literally a figure authority character called surname etc so the name equals character even in the original language as you said before you know if we have a good name that doesn't mean it sounds nice as it rolls off your tongue right it means you have a good character there's, a, there's a good character behind that name so what's what we're saying here in this chart what, what do we say here when we look at this what we've already seen is that god is good holy perfect pure just true spiritual righteous he is faithful, loving, He is unchangeable, and He is the light of the world. Amen. Now, God is all of these things. All these character attributes have been given to Him because that's who He is. They don't need to be given to Him. He's already been them for all eternity. But we see in the Bible that there are also texts that show us not only is God all of these characteristics, like good, holy, perfect, pure, just, and so forth, but also His law takes on these same attributes because this is the character of His law. Because the law is, you could say, the transcript of God's character. This so is what he's like. If, if there's a seal going to be on the forehead of the faithful at the end of time, and if in the same book it says the Father's name is going to be written on the forehead of the people that are servants of God at the end of time, we can certainly say that the law is involved there because the law reveals the character of God. Very it's clear. just that clear. Now, if you continue to study this chart here, you'll see that this law that's being referred to is not the ceremonial law. Okay? We looked at that last night. We looked at that last night. This is the moral law. In fact, the Bible says clearly in Hebrews chapter 10, the, the law of sacrifices you didn't, you didn't desire. The uh, offering of bulls and those kind of things, you didn't want. But what you did want, I do. I have the law written in my heart. I delight to do your will, O oh my God. So here it's, it's clear that the law of God representing the character of God is going to be in our foreheads. Why? Because the Father's name, the Father's character is going to be in our foreheads. What does that mean? We're going to have like those phylacteries like the Pharisees used to wear? We're going to have to tie something to our head? Well, I don't think so. You see, anybody could do that. Anybody could put some kind of stamp or a tattoo or maybe some kind of a computer chip as people talk about. Anybody could do that, right? 
And that wouldn't mean that you're a better Christian because I got a tattoo that if I could figure out just the name that God wanted me to have on my forehead, I'd just get that thing tattooed and I get to go to heaven, right? That would be a very easy way to get your way into heaven. The reality is the character of God, because God's law is His character, and God's name is also His character, as we saw even in the Greek language. So God's people are not only going to be, they're they're not only, only going to believe in the Bible, but His character is going to be written in their minds and in their hearts. Now we already saw that the new covenant relationship with Jesus Christ is what? It's having the law written on the heart, which is synonymous with the mind. So we're going to see that these, things, these two things go hand in hand. That it will be more than just having something written on you, but that it will be actually that your life is changed. You believe it and you act upon it as a result. Amen. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13 says, You also trusted after that you heard. So you heard first and then you trusted. You heard the word of truth. You know the Bible says, Thy word is truth. So this is truth here. You heard, and then you trusted when you heard the word of truth. It was the gospel of your salvation. In whom after that you believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. So you hear, you trust, you believe, and then you're sealed with the Holy Spirit. What does the Holy Spirit do? I mean, is it his job to just uh, uh, help us to confess our sins and then just leave us that way? No, that's not what he does. The Holy Spirit, his job is to work on our hearts. The Bible says that he convicts us of sin. He reveals to us sin, but he also reveals to us judgment and righteousness. So not only does the Holy Spirit show you where your lifestyle has been wrong, he then gives you the ability and the strength to overcome your sin and to change your life. So John chapter 16 makes it pretty clear that what the Holy Spirit does is teach us about Jesus. Okay, And Jesus is the one that pointed us to the Father. So they all work together pointing to each other saying, hey, he's the one. No, 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 he's the one. Really, he's the one. No, he's the one. They go back and forth saying, everybody... God is the best. Well, of course, they're all God, so they're pointing to each other, right? Well, think about this here. If the Holy Spirit is the one that seals us, and if you read in John chapter 6, verse 27, everlasting life which the Son of Man shall give unto you, for him, Jesus, hath God the Father sealed. If the Holy Spirit's trying to get Jesus Christ, who has been sealed by the Father, into our hearts, that's the gospel. That's powerful. And you know what I'm thinking? As last night we saw that the having the new covenant written on your heart as, as repetition by way of review is the fact that God writes His law on your hearts. And we see that we're going to have the Holy Spirit write the law on our minds, as it were. And so what's happening here is Jesus, the Bible said, He was sealed. Jesus was the living example of what the new covenant is. If you wonder, what does the new covenant look like? What does that really mean in a human being form? Look at Jesus. If you were to look at Jesus, if you were to take those books of the Bible, take Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and begin to read those books, you will see, every time you see Jesus, you're seeing a living representation of what the new covenant is. And interestingly enough, Jesus says, God, I delight to do your will. Why? Because your law is where? In my heart. In my heart. That means the law was done away with, right? And Jesus broke the law all the time. No. No, that's not what it meant. When the law was written in his heart, Jesus lived out the law. And then, now we read right here that what? Jesus, okay, so Jesus had the law in his heart, he kept the law, and he was what? Sealed. sealed. So Jesus was the living example of what it will be like to be sealed in the last days. When the Holy Spirit gives you victory, he writes the law in your mind and in your heart and changes your life. So if I want to be sealed, I want Christ in my heart. Exactly. I mean, that's what it really boils down to. If, his fa- if my Father's name is on my forehead, if I'm sealed with those angels that are holding back the, the four winds of strife, 
If the Father's name or character is synonymous with his law, then I will be following the same lifestyle that Jesus did. Yeah. Even keeping God's law. And did we not see that Jesus said in John chapter, I think it's 15 verse 10, that he says, I have kept the Father's commandments and abode in his love. So Jesus, he kept the commandments and he was sealed. Absolutely. Now remember, we talked about yesterday the, the uh, Sabbath. For in six days, the Lord made... Remember, the Lord made, he, this is about his creation. The Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that in them is. He rested the seventh day, wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. The seventh and the Sabbath are synonymous there. It's the same day. It's Saturday. God blessed the Saturday. He, he hallowed it. But notice why in the commandment itself in Exodus 20, verse 11, why it's even an issue. It's because he's the Lord that made Okay, he's the creator. The Lord made heaven, the earth, and the sea. Now, there's something very interesting in the book of Revelation. Chapter 14, verses 6 through 7. It says, I saw another angel. This is the messenger. He has the everlasting gospel to preach unto them that dwell on the earth. Except the Christians. Well, not to everybody. To everybody. It's to everybody on the earth he's going to preach. And he says with a loud voice, worship him. Worship who? Worship him that made. Oh, you mean the creator? Yeah, the creator. Worship him that made heaven and the earth and the sea and the fountains of waters. Now, wait a minute, John. When you were writing that in the book of Revelation, did you quote something in the Old Testament that we just read? He was quoting Exodus chapter 20 very clearly. <laughs> the, the fourth commandment. commandment. Yes. The Sabbath commandment. So at the end of time in the book of Revelation, what we're seeing here, the gospel message going to the world is, worship the creator. Isn't that... Isn't that revolutionary? That, just think about that. That God knew that in the last days so many people would have forgotten this. That he quotes these things in the New Testament at the end of time in this message that has to go to the entire planet. Now you look back through history and Martin Luther was a man of God. He didn't keep the Sabbath, did he? No. But he was still a man of God. He was coming out of the darkness of what we call the Dark Ages, right? He was coming out of, out of hundreds of years of popery where the light of the gospel had been hidden for, for such a time that it was, it was hard for them to accept everything. And then other men came along. John Calvin, you went through history. The, you had John Knox and different men who would come along. And they were maybe bringing out more light of truth from the gospel. They were Christian men. There were Christian women who were following the truth that they knew at that time. But God knew that he was going to be calling us back to the truth of worshiping him as the creator. He who made heavens, earth, the seas, and the fountains of waters. As we see here in Revelation 14 and in Exodus 20 in the fourth commandment regarding the Sabbath. That's pretty clear that we're being called in the book of Revelation to keep the commandments. Specifically the Sabbath. Absolutely. Why today would that be such a big important message? Because of yesterday's message. It's clear that the Catholic system, the Antichrist power, is the one that has changed the solemnity of the day from Saturday to Sunday. So the question is, why would we honor the beast's power instead of God at the end of time? You know, the only reason would be one reason if you didn't know. I was raised keeping Sunday holy. My family, I went to church literally just about every Sunday of my entire life. I had no idea. I had no idea the truth in regard to these things. It wasn't until I was 19 years old that I found these things out. My family still keeps Sunday virtually every weekend. They go to church every Sunday. But the reality was I saw what the scripture said. When I finally saw what it said, I wanted to follow what the Bible said. You know? And it changed my life. It's been a blessing to me. And you say it's just a day. Yeah. 
But is it just a day? No, it's part of God's character. Exactly. He asked that's, us to do it. That's the point. It's part of God's character. How could you just say, you know, it's, it's just killing. It's just stealing, Pastor. I mean, I saw the plate go around and there was a bunch of money in there. It's not a big deal, right? No, that's the tithe. That's the offering. You can't just take out of that plate. You're stealing. Well, come on, those are, those are nailed to the cross. No, they weren't, according to what our study said yesterday. That's right. You know, here's another thing. Uh, you said you just didn't know. And God bless you for that. Here, here's another thing. I told you yesterday, I used to pastor. Uh, well, I'm sorry, I do pastor, but I used to pastor in Grand Rapids. And while I was there, I used to host a television broadcast called Ask the Pastor. I'd also sit on the panel during many of those uh, times that I was there. And I was there with about 50 or 60 other pastors from lots of different denominations. Okay, I met with them, I mingled with them, I talked to them, I answered questions, they answered questions, we talked amongst each other before we got out there, and after we got out there, I had a lot of mingling with these guys. And you know, almost every one of them, I remember saying, oh yeah, Saturday is the Sabbath, but we keep Sunday in honor of the resurrection. And that's like the... The, the, the bottom line answer that almost every pastor will give. Well, yeah, it's true. You know, Exodus chapter 20 and, and uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 16 says that there was some worship on Sunday. No, there wasn't. That's not what the text is saying. Be honest with the scripture. And then what we, you know, what they basically said is we keep it in honor of the resurrection. No, they don't. They keep it because the Sunday church transferred the solemnity of that day. The Catholic church. What did I say? Sunday church. The, the, the Catholic church. Thank you, brother. I'm glad that you're up here. And so what happens is, when the Catholic Church was there in Europe, and the, Reform the Reformers came out and went across the world, they brought with them their thoughts of worship, which involved Sunday worship. Worshiping on Sunday. Neglecting and forgetting about the Sabbath, which is Saturday. And so these people, when they say they're honoring God... By worshiping on Sunday in honor of the resurrection, they're skipping it. They're missing it. Here's why. Romans chapter 6 says plainly, plainly, you can read it. Romans chapter 6. It says that when you're baptized, okay, you're baptized into his what? Death. His death. And then you are brought up out of the water reflecting what? His resurrection. His resurrection. The Bible says that the baptismal rite is what commemorates the resurrection. Amen. Not keeping Sunday. It doesn't say anything about that, about Sunday. That's right. Were you going to read something? I was going to read something just because you were saying it's not that many people think, well, we do it in honor of the resurrection. That idea really came up, I would say, later. Maybe, maybe people after it was changed, or maybe they say, well, you know, Jesus rose again on the first day of the week. Praise the Lord, he did. Amen. You know, but the Amen. reality is this. That doesn't change the law of God. No. If it did, we would have to get rid of what the fourth commandment says. It's not the seventh day. It's the first day of the week. But we read here. This is a book taken from the Catholic churches by uh, Reverend John A. O'Brien, a book called The Faith of Millions. And you're welcome to take this book. You can, or not take it, but look at it afterward and read what it has to say. But he says here, But since Saturday, not Sunday, is specified in the Bible, isn't it curious that non-Catholics who profess to take their religion directly from the Bible and not from the church observe Sunday instead of Saturday? Remember, this is a Catholic writing. He's saying it's interesting that people who say they believe the Bible keep Sunday instead of Saturday, because it's not in there. He goes on to say, yes, of course it is inconsistent, but this change 
of the Sabbath to Sunday was made about 15 centuries before Protestantism was born. And by that time, the custom was universally observed. They have continued the custom even though it rests upon the authority of the Catholic Church and not upon an explicit text in the Bible. The obser- that observance remains as a reminder of the mother church from which the non-Catholic sects broke away, like a boy running away from home, but still carrying in his pocket a piece of his mother, or a piece of his mother, or a lock, a picture of his mother rather, or a lock of her hair. So he's saying basically they don't keep this day because of. Uh, you know, Jesus raising from the grave. They do it because, what? Tradition. Tradition of the Catholic Church. The churches are following a law, not of God, not of Jehovah, not of the God of the Bible, but a law that man has instituted. This is what the Roman Catholic Church clearly says. And it's because the enemy is trying to destroy God's character. That's really the whole deal. That's what it's all about. Now, notice what it says there in Revelation chapter 14, verse 12. Here is the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments. Now, you know what? Let me go back one. Remember, in Revelation chapter 14, verses 6 through 7, what, what the man is saying is, John, the, the author, there's going to be a message preached to all the world, worship him that made, worship the creator, taken from the, uh, the commandment, the fourth commandment in Exodus chapter 20. In that same chapter, just a few verses later, here's the patience of the saints. Here are they that keep the commandments of God and the faith of Jesus. So what he's saying plainly is, return to keeping God's commandments. Why? Because you're honoring the Creator when you do that. And this is in the context of the Mark of the Beast crisis, This the context here also. That's right. What, what's happening here? What's that about? Well, right here, you mean what are we seeing here? Yeah, like what's going on? Anybody know what this place is? The Dome, the Dome, Dome of the Rock. Now, where is that? It, it's not downtown Chicago? <laughs> no, no, it's not. What, what, if, if I were to say, where's the Holy Land? What would people think about? Jerusalem, where this place is here. Notice what we see. Let thine anger and thy fury be turned away from thy city, Jerusalem, thy holy mountain. What mountain is, is that on there? Mount, Mount Zion. Zion, okay? It's well, notice holy. as we continue. Oh, Jerusalem, the holy what? City. city. There's a city on that mountain that's holy. Uh, in fact, there's a holy city on the holy mountain. As, go ahead and read the next one, brother. It says, In thy fear will I worship toward thy holy temple. So you have a holy temple on the holy mountain in the holy city. Yeah, and that's from Daniel 9, 16, Isaiah 52, verse 1, and Psalm 5, verse Thank 7. You. As we continue on, He goeth in unto the holy place, which was in the temple, in the city, on the mount. Okay? For a memorial before the Lord continue. Exodus chapter 28 verse 29. What else does it say? And we read here in Exodus 26 34. Put the mercy seat upon the ark of the testimony. Which is the ark of the covenant. In the most holy place. So you have a temple that is holy. And then in the temple you have a holy place. And when you go through the holy place. You come into what is called the what? The most holy place. Lead us further. So you go from the holy city. To a holy mountain, I'm sorry, a holy mountain to the holy city, to the holy temple, into the holy place, to the most holy place, and inside the most holy place, there's only one thing that says holy. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Exodus chapter 20, verse 8. How could you ever say that God doesn't think his seventh day Sabbath is special when it's all focusing down to time with him? You can say it's like a bullseye here. It gets closer and closer and closer, and that's the center of the bullseye. It's all about God saying, listen, I want to spend time with you. 
That's what it's all about. And the devil steps in saying, no, 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 don't do that, don't do that. Don't spend time with God because you'll be changed into his image. No. God says, yes. I want you to be like me. I want to put your, my name on your forehead. I want you to be like my son. But the devil says, ah, it's more popular to go to church on some other day. Don't listen to the devil, all right? Be honest with yourself. What does it say? We read on here in Ezekiel chapter 9, verse 1 through 4. And a loud voice drew near even every man with his destroying weapon in his hand. One man among them with a writer's inkhorn by his side. The Lord said unto him, Go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and set a mark upon the foreheads of the men that sigh and that cry after all the abominations that be done in the midst thereof. So here we see something in the Old Testament. There was to be a mark set on the foreheads in the Old Testament. What's going on? This mark is to be set on the foreheads of people that are sighing and crying after the abominations. What's an abomination? Sins. Okay. Sinfulness that's done in the land. So people that are saying, God, no, don't allow this sin to continue. Like the Bible says in the Psalms, Lord, they have made void thy law. It is time for you to work. It says clearly that the people that are sighing and crying after the abominations are going to receive a mark. Now, those aren't the ones that are doing unrighteousness. These are the ones that are crying out, saying, God, we want more righteousness. But the seal and the mark, you can have the seal on the forehead, could have been translated as what? Mark. It could have been a mark also. We saw that in the original language there in the Greek. Now, so when you're looking at this this idea Sabbath. Okay, so big deal. You have the law of God in your forehead and you're focusing on the Sabbath. Why? Well, because it's the, it's, as you said, the bullseye. The holy, the holy, the holy, the most holy, and then in the most holy there's the holy, which is keep the seventh day Sabbath. It's because there's a special thing in this name. You look at the word Sabbath, and if you look a little closer to it, you realize that, oh, there's something special about that word. What is it? That's the word Abba. What does Abba mean? Abba means Father. It's kind of interesting. Call no man Father upon the earth. Amen. But you can call God Father, can't you? Amen. Amen. Now, it's just so interesting. There's a man in Southern and Northern California. His name is Brent Rousset. His father was an evangelist. He was the Northern California Conference Evangelist. I worked for them for like a year and a half, okay? This guy had done all his study in Hebrew. I haven't. So I'm resting on his laurels. What he said is this word actually means the sign of of the everlasting Father. Oh, that's easy. There it is right there. Abba, Father, Sabbath. Spend time with your Father. That's what God is saying. And once again, remember, this, this day is to be called a delight. We've already seen this day is not to be a burden as the Jews had made it, not as God had intended it to be, but God meant this day to be a blessing to us. It needs to be the very center of the day. Amen. I gave them my Sabbath, Ezekiel chapter 20, verses 12 and 20 says. To be a sign between me and you. It's like, hey, when this happens, when you do this or when you see this, remember me. I gave them a sign between me and them that they might know that I'm the Lord that sanctifies them. Okay, I could say, Chad, hey, I'm being sanctified. And you could say, come on, brother, how do you know that? What could be my answer? Well, you could say, because I am spending time. He says what? He says, I gave them my Sabbath to be a sign that they might know 
that I am the Lord that sanctify. What does sanctify even mean? Set apart for a holy purpose. To make something, and it makes something like if God is sanctifying me, He's making me holy. Yeah, He's he setting you aside, like you're you're special. And He and so now what's happening? You could say, well, Daniel, I know because you are following God's will. Not not by we can't keep the law to be saved, right? Oh no, 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 no. No, you can't keep the law to be saved. I can keep the law of Jesus Christ is in my heart, though. Amen. And he's he hath God the Father sealed. Exactly. So, go for it. Okay. It says in verse 20, Hallow my Sabbaths. In other words, keep them holy. And they shall be a sign between me and you, that you may know that I am the Lord your God. You could say, I mean, Christians all over the world say, He is the Lord my God. I mean, we're proud when we say that. We sing about it. We write about it. We got all these, these verses that talk about it. But what's the sign that that's true? According to the Bible. The Sabbath. The Sabbath. You know what the Sabbath is? It's the sign of the everlasting Father. You can see it right there. Right in the midst of it. Isn't it beautiful? I love it. It's a time where you can... It's a law that you spend time with me, God. Right? Not me, you understand, but me. (laughs) <laughs> now, Maxord, if you look at Ezekiel chapter 20, verse 12, what we just looked at, and we look at the word sign, it is a sign between me and you. What is that? What, what can that be translated? He said that it's a mark. A mark. Now, there's going to be a mark on the forehead of people that sigh and cry after the abominations that are done in the land. What do you suppose that mark could be? That time that God and I spend together. That sign, that seal, that Father's name. Do you know the seal of God is Christ in your heart? Because him hath God the Father sealed. But the way to know that you're going to be sealed is by keeping the entire law, including what? The seventh-day Sabbath. Time with the everlasting Father. Isn't that interesting? It's all about relationship. It's not legalism. It's love. Can you say it? It's It's love. It's love. And you think about it, Jesus says, many times legalism is the, is the aspersion cast in the face of those who keep the Sabbath day holy. But Jesus himself said, if you love me, what? Keep my, keep my commandments. Was Jesus saying, if you love me, become a legalist? No. No, that's not what he was saying at all. So he's saying, if you love me, you're actually going to do those things I command you to do, right? And one of the things he commands us to do is keep the Sabbath holy. And you say, okay, what's the big deal? So it's another day of the week. But remember, what is that day for? That day is a day that He has given us so that we could come closer to Him. That we could set apart a 24-hour period, a date with God, and that as we grow to know Him more on that day, what's going to happen to us? We're going to be changed into the likeness of Jesus Christ. It's not as if, well, I keep that day holy, I don't work that day, and so now I'm a holy Joe, right? No, that's not at all what it means. It means that the time spent that He has given us on a specific day, and what's, what's special about that day? He made, it, he made it holy. And so in some special way, he's made it that that day would change us. It said that by doing this, we would be what? Sanctified. Amen. We would be changed. Not by just saying, well, I did a good deed. I didn't do anything. I didn't work that day. But somehow he gave us that day so that we could be with him, <coughs> spend time with him to be transformed in his image. The Bible says again in Ezekiel 20, verses 12 and 20, I gave them my Sabbath to be a sign between me and them that they might know that I am the Lord that sanctify them. Hallow my Sabbath, and they shall be a sign between me and you, that you may know that I am the Lord your God. My Bible says in Luke 6, 46, Why do you call me Lord? Lord? 
and do not those things which I say. Like, really, who's the Lord? The guy that tells you what to do, right? The master. The master. Why do you call me Lord if you don't do the things I ask you to? Uh, 646, Luke 646. Write it down and memorize that one because it's serious. Pray for us, brother. Great God in heaven, I know that when I first heard these messages, it was brand new to me seven years ago. And I also know that we can't experience you until we try it. We can say, hey, what's the difference in a day? I could be in a different religion. I could be a Muslim, and I could say, what's the difference in your God? And I wouldn't know unless I tested it. In the same way, Lord, you've given us this day to be a blessing. And I know from my own experience, this day is an incredible blessing. Coming from one who's kept, for the first 19 years of my life, at least attended church most every Sunday. But Lord, you've given us this day as an experience of your love. The Lord's Day Sabbath. I thank you that you've given us the Lord's Day. That you clearly say it is, in Isaiah chapter 58 verse 13, that it is my holy day. Your holy day. The Lord's Day. And it's a delight, Lord. And it is a delight for those who will choose to partake of it, Lord. And I pray that every person here, I trust the people who are here because they love you. And I pray that they will experience you within even this. In the name of Jesus, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.